Welcome to the Broadcorb Report with your hosts, Becky Allery and Michael Broadcorb. And, of course, I am the moderator, Todd Walker. Thanks for joining us again this week. This is actually the 10th release of the Broadcorp Report. And, of course, it is New Year, so Happy New Year 2023. want to tease a little exciting show that's going to be coming to us in our next edition, number 11 of the Broadcorp Report. It's a crossover show. We are going to be at the Minnesota DFL with Ken Martin, chairman of the Minnesota DFL, at their headquarters, doing a little crossover with their show and our show. So be sure to join us for episode number 11. But let's get right into it, guys. Here we are, the beginning of the year. It is the first week of session. This is pretty amazing. The Dems have control of the House, of the Senate, of the governor's office, and of course the AG's office. This is a trifecta for the Dems. Guys, come on, Becky, Michael, go at it. Let's hear what you think about the uh, trifecta. Well, what I'm looking for right now is where are the Republicans? Uh, earlier this, just earlier this week, the the uh, Governor Walls, uh, Lieutenant Governor Flanagan, uh, Steve Simon, uh, Keith Ellison, and Julie Blaha were all inaugurated. Um, no Republican response. No Republican messaging. This entire week in response to that. That was a free press day. Now, in the interest of disclosure, I did endorse the governor. I did endorse Steve Simon. Um, but if you're a Republican and you want the party to succeed and you want and there's in your brother, where have you been? What have you been doing this week? This was a clear opportunity this week for Republicans to offer a messaging response to the DFL. And they were nowhere to be found. You know, I. I have to agree once again. Um, you know, it's one of those situations that um, as a former, you know, comms per- person, um, this is kind of you, you set up your, your calendar for the year with certain things that are set in stone, right? The start of the legislative session being one of those. In fact, it's one of those press releases that you can write without knowing what's going to happen or what's going to be said. Um, it is a really missed opportunity. Every news outlet, paper, print, radio um, are, are talking about this and um, Republicans could have gotten a comment um, in, in each of those stories and it's really disappointing. Why, is it, why does it not happen, Becky? Why is, why is it that you and I understand it? I'm a quasi-Republican. You're a real Republican. Why is it that you and I understand it and others don't? Oh, that's a million-dollar question, right? I think that you know we, we certainly at the state party know that there is um, a lack of staff you know, that at this point. I don't know that they have a communications director or have a full-time comms operative over there. Um, and so I, I think that's really what I would point to. Um, again, this is something that I, I would think even – somebody else handling that, whether that's their main job or not, you know, there's a a dozen different things throughout the year that you can have prepared. Um, You know, it's like just prepped up and ready. You know, once again, the governor comes out is going to spend, I mean, it's these things kind of write themselves with just plain red meat rhetoric. Um, And and it's also a missed opportunity, not only to message in, in the, in the press, but also to send that out to our activists, right? This is a missed opportunity for the party, for these leaders to send it out on social media and to send an email to the activist saying, we're here fighting for you. Great point. No, I'm, I, think, I think she, once again, um, she's showing why she's the voice of reason. That was a well-articulated response and question. I got nothing further to add. 
One thing that I did want to add, though, um, because, you know, I, I got to bring us back around to, to give some criticism to, to the Democrats here, too, and to your favorite Governor Walls. Um, you know, in, in his speech, two things that really stood out to me. One, he said they chose uh, they, meaning Minnesota voters, chose hope over fear. Now, great line. Love having that in a speech. Something I would like to insert in a, in a speech if I ever have the like, you know, ability to write for a governor's inauguration speech at some point. However, if you were watching the news or TV uh, this last election cycle, I think there was a fair amount of fear mongering from those Democrats. So I don't necessarily know that's a that's a valid statement there. Um, but the one. Oh. Are you serious? Yeah. Like you don't think that Scott Jensen engaged in fear? You don't oh, think, I that think Scott Jensen. I do think so, but do you not think that the Democrats engaged in just as much fear mongering as the Republicans? Well, let me just let me say this to you. I think that fear is a very powerful emotion that drives elections. Uh, it's the most powerful, and I think both sides engaged engaged in fear. I think Republicans engaged in fear, and the Democrats engaged in fear um, on both sides. But when you know, yeah, it's Scott Jensen out there talking about Nazism. You had Scott Jensen in there talking about you know how he was going to ban abortions, uh, and he and so. There was a, this was a fear-based election. If your point is to say that both sides engaged in fear, then I will, I will take that point, if that's your point. But I just want to be clear, is I think both, both sides were. All right, so you, you both addressed Scott Jensen. And let's talk about Scott Jensen a little bit here. What are the Republicans doing with Scott Jensen? His name is being batted around right now, again, that we may see him on a ballot in the future. What are your uh, thoughts? Uh I'm really surprised and frustrated by this. Um, I pulled out the remaining hair that I had uh, yesterday when I saw on social media that Scott Jensen was going to be having an event at the state capitol. Look, again, uh, before Becky says it, I endorse Governor Walls. I picked him over Scott Jensen. That being said, this is an opportunity in 2023 for new – it's a new year, new resolutions, new opportunities. To give Scott Jensen a platform in 2023 for legislative Republicans – to be giving him a platform and building him up, I think is a cataclysmic mistake. Um, Scott Jensen was the new Coke of the past election cycle. Uh, he's been, the, the, the consumer has said they don't want it. They, they don't want him around anymore. His brand was rejected. And Republicans have to look to the new Republicans that are in the House, new legislative Republicans, and to have a new Republican brand. And it's not Scott Jensen. He needs to go away. Becky. Listen, I'm all for failed candidates staying involved in some respect, you know, handing over lists, making sure their folks vote, um, This, you know, for the upcoming endorsed candidate, that whole thing. Um, but in this situation, I really think that he, he does need to take a step back and headlining events is a step too far. All right. So we've talked a little bit about the what's going on right here in the state of Minnesota, but let's not ignore what's happening on the national stage. Uh, I can't help but look over my shoulder here and look at going between CNN and Fox News, and they and Kevin McCarthy, the GOP from California, has failed again to secure the necessary votes for the first round to become the Speaker of the House. Now, of course, when many of you are hearing this podcast, this probably will be resolved, but t- take it away, guys. What, what do you think is happening on the national stage? Becky. We knew this one was going to be close, that's for sure. Um, it certainly is not a vote of confidence that it was brought to the floor 15 votes shy of the first ballot. Um, you know, it sounds like there was some wheeling and dealing that the Freedom Caucus was trying to do, trying to get um, to, to secure their or to say that they were going to vote for McCarthy. 
that didn't happen. Um, but at the end of the day, this is the first time in 100 years that the House cannot, has not elected a speaker on the first ballot. Um, I guess nothing should shock us anymore. I want to point out to our listeners, Becky, and I haven't, I've never worked on Capitol Hill out in Washington, but Becky, you have legislative experience out there, correct? Yes. So explain that. Just give a little context so people understand. Yeah, so I, I spent three years on the Hill working for Congressman Emmer. You know, I will say when I was out there, there was um, Speaker Vayner did uh, resign, and so there was a Speaker election. Um, it was a little excite. There was excitement surrounding that, um, not because of what happened on the floor, but what be happened behind closed doors. It was they did go into conference expecting it to be McCarthy that came out as the Speaker nominee. Um, some some stuff went down and, and Paul Ryan came out as the nominee and then was confirmed on the floor. Um, so this, you know, these kind of things do happen. But typically what comes to the floor is is wrapped up in a tight little bow. You know, I saw someone tweet that Nancy Pelosi would have never let this happen. And, you know, not, not trying to give any props and, and take Michael's uh, role of giving props to our Democrat friends oh, here. Geez. <laughs> But Nancy Pelosi would have never had this happen. And so it is a little a little shocking that it, it not only was a vote too shy, but 15 votes shy in that first ballot. Michael, final I, comments? I would encourage our listeners to go back to a, a couple episodes ago, and we discussed this. Becky and I both I had some analysis that we thought that there was gonna this was going to be a tough vote potentially for, for Speaker McCarthy. I'd like to give a plug out to my, my late father who always told me that math was a part of politics, and it does come down to math. And the number we need to be focusing on right now is 218. And by the time this podcast comes out, the question will be, is, has someone gotten to 218? But we'll probably cover the subject uh, at our next week's episode, too. All right, let's uh, move on to some news that happened here locally that uh, was rather tragic. Last Thursday, right around Christmas, the Hennepin County Attorney's Office charged 18-year-old Tashan Adams-Wright and 17-year-old LaVon Longstreet, both from Minneapolis, with second-degree murder in connection to the Friday shooting that left 18-year-old, I'm sorry, 19-year-old Jonathan Hudson dead. Uh, he succumbed to his injuries after being shot inside the Nordstrom's department store at our famed Mall of America. Initial reactions I'd like to hear from you, Michael, because Michael was able to score uh, a great interview with Rob Doerr. He's the government relations consultant, political analyst, and senior vice president, government affairs for the Minnesota Gun Owners Caucus. Michael, initial reactions to your uh, interview. Uh, I was really, uh, first of all, uh, Rob Dorr is someone that I uh, know on social media. Um, um, we had, I think we had spoken before on the phone, but it was my first time in an interview with him. I respect Rob Dorr immensely, um, and I discussed that in the interview. Uh, part of the reason why this was uh, so uh, such a hot topic for me and so relevant and why I want to discuss it is obviously because of the tragic news and the events that occurred at the mall. But also, I'm a dad, uh, husband, three kids. My kids love going to the Mall of America, and I grew up, you know, with the Mall of America and it being a, a place for fun in your life. And so it's what I saw out there and, and how that environment has changed uh, is, become, is frustrating to me. The, the, the rise of, of public safety issues in this state and, and, the, and the concern I have as a parent about being at the Mall of America. And, and I, was, I was very fortunate that Rob was available. Uh, he is someone who we hope to have on to talk about a variety of issues uh, at the state capitol. But, but I'm going to let the interview speak for itself, and I'd be curious to get your guys' reaction uh, when the interview's over. Yeah, you know, Michael, I just uh, to, to preface, when you say a place for fun in your life, that was the original tag. I, for three years, shot uh, my reality show 
out there in the Mall of America, in the Rotunda, because it was such a happy place to be. And uh, this over the holiday season, uh, it was certainly the topic in a number of the settings I was in where people were saying they wouldn't feel safe going there. And it was, you know, the, you know, the Snoopy, Snoopy land when, when I shot my show there. So it was very sad to hear this. So let's, let's roll uh, the interview that you had with Rob Dorr and uh, get to a little bit of post-show reaction as well. Rob Dorr is someone that I uh, follow on social media. We've spoken a few times on the phone. Uh, he is a government relations consultant political analyst, and senior vice president in government affairs for the Minnesota Gun Owners Caucus. Uh, Rob and Brian Strasser uh, head up the Minnesota Gun Owners Caucus, and they are two people um, that I respect immensely, uh, particularly for their use of social media. And one of the things I like to point out about Rob, uh, particularly about social media, is Rob has a very specific uh, background on his Twitter profile that says, please be specific. (laughs) I like that about Rob. I like Rob is very uh, someone that I have come to respect for being very data driven, uh, cites examples, um, and I respect his approach that he has on social media and the expertise. So I'm very happy to have Rob Dorr on here on the Broadcorp Report this morning. Uh, Rob, for our listeners, give a little bit more background about yourself. Um, yeah, I've been, uh, uh, people most recognize me for my work around second amendment advocacy. Um, I've been doing that, um, uh, for 12 years now, this will be my 12th session, uh, doing that, uh, that type of work, uh, started off as a volunteer. And then I was lucky enough, um, to be able to go full time with the Minnesota gun owners caucus, uh, about, uh, four years ago. So it's, it's been a fun ride. Um, I've got a background in law enforcement. Um, I've also, you know, relevant to the topic we'll be talking about, I've worked in private security. Uh, and then I'm, I'm also a, a student at Mitchell Hamlin School of Law. So I, I kind of took leverage that that uh, decade of experience uh, working um, in and around politics and at the Capitol and uh, applying that uh, towards a towards a new legal career. Well, that's fantastic. So uh, Robin and Brian, in particular, are someone that uh, Becky and I have spoken about uh, before, having on the show for, for a number of subjects. They are someone that we would like to have on repeatedly because um, partisan politics aside, I found them to be incredibly good uh, advocates for the issues that, that, that they're passionate about, which a lot of us are. And where I wanted to talk to Rob specifically about was Mall of America, recent shooting, and security. I noticed on social media, uh, you're at, at Rob Dorr on Twitter, that Rob was recently at the Mall of America. I was also recently at the Mall of America. And in light of some uh, shootings and other security issues at the Mall of America, uh, they have implemented uh, new security protocols at the mall. Uh, I'd like to turn it over to Rob to kind of describe the, the reasons for the, the new protocol and his thoughts on them. Yeah, so in the wake of the the most recent shooting, I think it was December twenty seventh, a couple of days after Christmas, um, uh, you know, where you know, I, for the third time in in a year there was a shooting at the Mall of America, and um, you know, I think when we see the headlines, we assume that it was somebody went into the mall and started shooting, but each of these instances turned out to be people either. Uh, well, all of them with personal beefs and most of them with pre-existing relationships. And uh, the mall has decided since then to, to institute uh, some at least visible security measures. Uh, their efficacy, I think, is, is somewhat dubious, and we can talk about that a little bit more. Uh, but the idea being that... <clears throat> 
And they want to give the appearance that they're going to be limiting um, uh, the ability to carry firearms uh, in the Mall of America. What is your perspective on that? Well, so there's a few different issues. I know anybody who knows me knows our, our longstanding position that the mall is prohibited from banning the possession of firearms uh, themselves uh, due to Minnesota statutes. Minnesota statutes state that a landlord cannot restrict the lawful carry of a tenant or their guests, 624, 20, uh, 624 714. Um, but uh, yeah, the law is kind of silent on whether that intended to mean residential landlords or commercial landlords as well. So there's always been kind of this wink, wink, nudge, nudge idea at the mall that if you're going to carry there, carry concealed, the worst that can happen is they ask you to leave. Uh, So there's that legal aspect of it, which I'm really not going to spend too much time getting into because that really has to be fleshed out in the courts. My opinion is a plain reading of the statute means that you can carry lawfully uh, at the mall despite their no guns policy. Uh, But um, I, I never underestimate the ability of Minnesota courts to uh, view unfavorably upon uh, the the rights of uh, gun owners in this state. Um, But the, the other side of that is, is it actually going to be effective? And what I saw was um, uh, individuals from a security company, and uh, they're from a security company that is known for kind of rapid response. Hey, we we need a bunch of people here quickly, and they basically turn up a bunch of bodies, not people who have a tremendous amount of training or experience in uh, in site security or, or public safety, but people who you know have passed a background check and can follow instructions. And I'm not disparaging them at all. I think they're doing they're doing fine with the work that they that they were put, but they're not experts in this area. They don't really know what to look for. And the video that I put out on social media kind of mimicked uh, my, my, uh, my entry into the mall was uh, lift up your jacket, show us your waistband. And then they let, uh, they you know, had me continue. Uh, my kids, you know, had a, had a bag with them and they looked quickly looked in the bag later on throughout the day. They, they introduced these dowel rods. Uh, they had these, uh, you know, eight, 10 inch dowel rods. And then I observed them rubbing them across the small of people's backs. I found that particularly humorous because most people, when they carry firearms, they carry on their sides, uh, not at the small of the back. And so I found that uh, that procedure to be a little bit uh, interesting. But kind of the, the most telling of the procedure is I, I, I'm not afraid to say this. I'm somebody who values my uh, personal security. I was carrying the entire time. I went past these security personnel three separate times, bringing stuff out to the car. You know, my son forgot his wallet. I needed to go and grab it. Um, and each time I was able to pass through uh, undetected with my, with my firearm carried. So uh, while I think the intent of this is to make – shoppers at the mall feel safer, make it look like that, that there's, there's enhanced procedures. And I think that's really kind of all that they're going to get. And it it is going to achieve that purpose when mall patrons go in, they're going to feel safer. And, and I think that's about the extent of it. Let me ask you for a second. Um, you disclosed that you were carrying, um, what would happen if you walked into the mall uh, they noticed that you had a firearm. What, what would happen in that sense? It would be, I think, be good, I think, to educate some of the listeners. What would happen? Because, you know, I, I have a carry permit. Um, I know a number of people that do it. I'd be very curious from your perspective and your expertise, what would happen in that situation? What would you do? Yeah, so there are a very few uh, places uh, under Minnesota law and federal law 
uh, that are uh, inherently criminal just to carry to. So if you think of schools, if you carry to a courthouse without notifying the sheriff, uh, if you carry inside a federal building, all of those are immediate crimes just by nature of carrying. In Minnesota, when you see these private locations, such as the mall, that have signs that say bans guns on these premises, um, almost every time the signs aren't compliantly posted and the mall certainly isn't compliant with Minnesota statutes. But that's really irrelevant because in order to be guilty of a crime, first you have to be informed of the location's policy. So they can do that by a sign, by telling you, by having an audio recording, any of those means. And then the second part of that is they have to demand compliance with that policy. Uh, So until somebody actually personally asks you to leave, you're not breaking the law until you refuse to leave. Once you refuse to leave, then um, you are uh, breaking the law and you can also be trespassed out. So uh, what what I actually I, I saw in one of the responses to my social media, somebody was carrying a pocket knife and they were given the opportunity, you know, that was spotted and they were given the opportunity to go and return the pocket knife to their car and come back. So I imagine that's what's most likely going to happen. Uh, the mall could technically trespass, but then that runs into some other legal issues with uh, the law preventing people from uh, being trespassed out of a location simply because they were lawfully carrying. What, from your perspective, is the safety complexities of the Mall of America? Um, from your analysis, uh, my understanding just from, from reading and studying this and prep for the show, 27 entrances into the mall. It's a unique facility in that sense. Um, what type of security challenges does it present to the average shopper, someone there looking to just do some shopping or participate in some of the other attractions that are there? Yeah, I think uh, it, it is rather challenging. I was uh, chatting with a Bloomington police officer who I knew uh, bumped into at the mall um, and uh, you know, was chatting with him. And we were talking about that, how it's extremely challenging because unlike a, a stadium, uh, I think a lot of people are comparing it. Well, hey, we have metal detectors at stadiums. Why can't we do it here? Stadiums, like if, if you go, yeah, I, I don't go to the, the U.S. Bank Stadium frequently, but I'm a season ticket holder to Minnesota United. There's four entrances that you can get into the uh, um, Allianz Field. That's it. And there's uh, six or eight sets of metal detectors at each of those entrances, and they're staffed one-to-one. Every metal detector has one person watching the entry. That's a tremendous amount of staffing that you need. Now, if you imagine at, at the mall with 27 separate entrances on different floors, I don't even think they have the staffing to achieve that kind of a, that, that kind of a uh, security process that would mimic what we see at stadiums. Uh, so then you're talking about closing down entrances uh, and then make, forcing people into a few different funnels, which is if you just look at the inflow and outflow of traffic a- at a stadium, you can anticipate that people are going to be arriving within a small window of time. So you, you, you can anticipate you're going to have a big rush, you know, hour, hour and a half before the game until the start of the game. And then you can start to wind things down. You can't do that at the mall. You have to have virtually the same amount of uh, staffing all the time. I I think it's incredibly unlikely that we're going to see um, the types of metal detectors and things like that that we would see at at stadiums at the mall, which is what a lot of people are calling for, absent just a huge inconvenience to the average shopper. 
What I do think might possibly work and might serve as a deterrent is if you do have kind of randomized checks. So if you have a, you know teams of security personnel at particular times when um, you know the data kind of shows that there's an increased likelihood of uh, of criminal action and things like that, uh, randomized checks. You have, you're randomly pulling people out. You're doing metal detector sweeps. Uh, you're, you're recognizing you know, kind of common people who, who may have uh, caused problems in the past. Doing that kind of thing when nobody actually knows what the particular uh, security protocol is going to be at any entrance at any given moment is more likely to serve as a deterrent as a consistent, you know, kind of just – cursory bag check and, and, and visible inspection, which people can then uh, plan ahead about how to circumvent. You know, I'm a season ticket holder to the Vikings. And so, um, you know, I make an, you know, I plan ahead for the fact that okay, I'm going to have season tickets to the Vikings. And that is going to be a facility where I'm going to have to go through a metal detector. I'm going to be with 66,000 other Minnesotans, a high visibility, high traffic event, but I understand that based on metal detection or things that it, that that my security is is and my safety is relative to the, you know what's what's at the facility. The other the other reality though is that U.S. Bank is the only place I can go see the Vikings play. I can't go down the road and see another professional team play, another NFL team. So I think one of the challenges, and I'm curious about your perspective on this, if the mall were to implement rigid security the type of security that would pass the Rob Dorr test, wouldn't that make it difficult for the mall to succeed financially? I mean, wouldn't someone just go to Southdale or Ridgedale or Rosedale or one of the other malls to shop um, because of the problems that it would entail? Yeah, it, it's funny that you mentioned that. The person who I mentioned with the uh, with the pocket knife earlier said in his tweet that he just went to Ridgedale instead, um, you know, because he he didn't appreciate the hassle. Uh, and and I think that's probably going to be the biggest challenges. A lot of mall stores are hurting right now. Um, you know, and and there's a lot of efforts to try to revamp malls. Northtown up by uh, you know Blaine where where I live, uh, that's almost a ghost town. You know, there's there's been a lot of attempts to kind of revitalize it. Um, so I think the mall is struggling staffing wise you can't you couldn't look anywhere in the mall without you know uh, desperate pleas to try to join their security force with a $1500 bonus um so i i question if they even have the capability of doing this but then uh, associated with that is going to be increased costs and those costs are going to be passed on to the mall uh tenants um, and which are will then be passed on to the mall consumers so i think you'll be looking at instances where the prices are going to be going up at at, at the mall uh, uh, combined with the increased security hassles that you'll confront. And I think you're absolutely right. I think people will just choose uh, to go somewhere else. You know, one of the things um, that I frequently uh, uh, follow your Twitter account for, and, and I, I have, uh, I'm a big fan of Twitter and social media, but you know, I have a list of, of Twitter followers that I create my kind of my own VIP list, a list of people that I consider the best of the best of Twitter and people that I watch on a regular basis. Rob, you're on that list. You've been for a very long time, in part because of, first of all, I like your analysis. I like your commentary, even if uh, even if I disagree in some ways. I like the fact that you have, please be specific. I like that you engage on very specific data-driven points. Um, one of the other areas that I, I always uh, enjoyed reading your analysis and commentary is matters related to public safety and crime. You will offer a lot of analysis and commentary on that and offer some perspective. 
And so you're on a list of, of people that I watch. Brian's on that list too. Uh, a, a group of you know, 15, 20 people that I, that I read on almost a daily basis. And I would encourage the listeners uh, to follow Rob on Twitter. Um, Rob is someone who, uh, even though we might not agree on all issues, I, I absolutely uh, respect immensely and is someone who I hope we can have on this show on a frequent basis because I do consider him a subject matter expert on a variety of subjects. If you haven't visited Rob's website, by the way, please go to robdoor.com. Uh, hands down, one of the best websites I've ever seen for personal branding. Um, <laughs> but it shows you a list of all of the things that Rob uh, has an expertise in, and it's vast and impressive. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if uh, Rob at one point was an action figure that we'd be our kids would be able to buy his story. He's pretty pretty impressive background. I would I like to ask you uh, somewhat of a personal but also professional question. Do you would you feel safe at the mall if you couldn't carry? Um, yeah, I, I, I think just looking at the numbers, I mean, the mall has 40 million people who visit a year and, you know, there's been three incidents over the course of a year. So, um, the odds are incredibly you know, low that an issue is going, is going to happen. Um, my, I carry, you know, pretty much any time I'm out in public, not not for the things that I anticipate, but for the things I can't anticipate. Um, I, I actively avoid places where I think I might need to use a firearm. Uh, so if if I was that concerned for my personal safety that going to the mall would 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 might result in me needing to discharge my firearm, I would not go to the mall. Uh, so it, it's part of my overall philosophy. I want to point out to the listeners this what Rob just said there. I think that's. What I hope the listeners just heard, and I would say it's exactly one of the reasons why I like Rob, why I respect his opinion. Because listen to what he just said: he doesn't, he wouldn't go to a place if he thought that he would have to discharge his firearm. This is someone who is trained uh, in both use of a firearm, EMT, if I'm correctly, uh, and aside from his his fundamental understanding of the law, this is this is someone who, from all aspects, understands the seriousness of use of a firearm and if he isn't interested in discharging it uh, i think that shows you the, the significance and the approach that he has and the sensibility that he has to this issue is why why so much i wanted him to have him on you know i i in order for the reason i asked that question of rob is because i don't consider myself to be that smart but i listen and, and follow smart people and I was very curious about that answer because, you know, I have young kids, um, teenagers. Um, I was at the mall uh, just a, a couple days ago. And the mall, to me, growing up in Minnesota, Mall of America, uh, was, you know, it's this, you know, it's a huge attraction. It's a great place to go. It's exciting. It's fun for the kids to go to. Uh, but it is, um, it's become more of a concern. Uh, teenagers, they want to go there. I want them to feel safe. And safe is a relative term. We all, it's all about, and life is about managing risks and stuff. So I was very curious how you would approach going to the mall if you couldn't carry. How, if you feel comfortable with your kids and teenagers going there. And, and maybe some best practices that families and kids could have at the mall. Um, so parents can feel better and safer as they navigate it. Yeah, you know, I think um, when, when you look at the data, uh, you know, while the, while the, possibility of risks are very low. Uh, there are some things even just aside from the mall. Uh, typically, um, 
when it's dark outside, that's when more criminal activity happens. So when I plan my mall trips, I try to make sure that we're there earlier in the day uh, and then we're done by early afternoon to mid evening at the latest. You know, so that that right there is going to mitigate just that crossover of where the vast majority of criminal activity happens and the uh, other uh, the other part, you know, of just normal day to day life. Uh, so that that alone is going to mitigate a lot of those risks, but also, you know, not in interjecting yourself into other issues. Uh, I, I teach Minnesota permit to carry classes. And one thing I tell my students is uh, that when you've got a, a handgun on you, it, it, it shouldn't give you a sense of uh, emboldenment. It should give you a sense of, uh, of, uh, uh, kind of needing to retreat. Uh, you, you, you I, I say that uh, when a gun owner, when you're carrying and you're flipped off, you wave back with all five fingers. Um, just because you have to, you you can't escalate that situation. So I think sometimes people, when they have a firearm or just you know if it, whatever it may be, if you got a knife or if you just feel like you're the best fighter in the world, uh, you you feel emboldened to maybe interject yourselves into situations that that don't require uh, your your presence or or, or your care. Uh, me even you know as as you know I trained as a police officer, you know as an EMT, I have to question whenever I look at a situation that that might be getting dicey is, is this worth dying or going to jail for? Or do, am I going to make a better witness uh, than a suspect in this situation? So uh, depending on how you, how, you know, how you carry yourself, whether you carry a firearm, whether you carry a weapon, uh, whether you're somebody who's maybe more prone to, uh, to confrontation, um, you know, just ask yourself that question. But yeah, as long as you're there during the daytime, you, you you get out, you park in areas that are well lit. You don't have a big long walk uh, out through a dark parking lot uh, to your vehicle. You're, you know, you're, the odds of you confronting an issue are going to be next to none. Yeah. One last question, and it's somewhat related to the Mall of America, which is Skyways. Skyways have become also a hot subject, too, uh, in the Twin Cities. And there's some issues in downtown St. Paul. There's some skyways, some small skyways that connect to the to the Mall of America. But what would be your approach and mindset about skyways and other type of fixed building facilities like that that, that connect where, where there's been some ongoing security concerns? Yeah, I think the the most important thing um, is uh, being situationally aware. Um, is Great point. Yeah, is when you are, you know, I, a lot of us have a tendency, uh, Michael, you and I are both social media addicts. Um, you know, we have a tendency to be looking at our phones a lot and things like that. When you're walking to or from your vehicle, your destination, anywhere that you, you might f be at risk of a, of a uh, confrontation with somebody who wishes you harm, uh, you want your head on a swivel. You want to be looking around. You want to be... Uh, uh, engaged in your environment, able to recognize any areas of potential escape should something happen. Just be situationally aware. Uh, you know, if you've got somebody who's got their head buried in their phone in a skyway and they're completely oblivious to the world that's going on versus somebody who maybe has their hand on their hip uh, and then they're, they're actively scanning their environment, looking around, uh, aware of what's going on. One of those people looks like a limping gazelle to, uh, to a criminal, and it's not the person who's engaged in the environment. Um, I'm going to timestamp this, um, and I'm going to make a note to my kids. Kids, um, your dad's not wrong. So um, we're going to listen. You and I are going to sit down and listen to this interview with, with Mr. Dorr, and you're going to hear him talk about the use of phrase situational awareness 
you guys sometimes roll your eyes at your dad when he brings it up, uh, but I'm going to have a, you listen to this podcast to this expert who I didn't prep to say that, but said the exact same thing. So I was smiling as 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 Rob was saying that. But but kids, uh, you're going to be listening to Mr. Doors' interview here about situational awareness um, later on today. So Rob, Great minds I think alike. Yeah. Say again. Great minds think alike. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so I really want to thank you. I don't want to take too much of your time. It's 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 a holiday. Uh, but I just wanted to thank you so much for number one being accessible to talk. I hope you'd come back on. Um, you are someone that I have, I respect immensely. And, and I think this interview, I think a lot of our listeners are going to understand why your approach, where can people find out more about your organization and you specifically? Yeah. So, um, you know, my, my, uh, second amendment focused stuff, you can find out, uh, at uh, gunowners.mn. That's the Minnesota gun owners caucus. Uh, we pride ourselves in being professional in our approach at the legislature. Um, and uh, working with all sides to try to communicate the issues that our members care about. Um, it's easy to go up and thump your chest and talk like Macho Man Randy Savage about my rights and, you know, from my cold, dead hands. Uh, but when you're facing a trifecta of, uh, of Democrat control uh, from Democrats who uh, are not particularly friendly to, uh, to Second Amendment, you have to broaden your, your approach a little bit. And we, we pride ourselves in that, that professional approach and that pragmatic approach. Uh, personally, um, uh, Twitter, um, uh, at Rob Dar, R-O-B-D-O-A-R, and then robdor.com, which you just reminded me. I need to update a few, update a few of my uh, more recent interviews and things, which uh, this interview will be on there too. So I appreciate that. Rob, thank you so much for your time today. And, and I really do hope that Becky and I and, and others associated with the Broadcore Report can have you on later on. Um, you're just a tremendous resource, a fountain of information. I thank you so much for your, your professionalism, your advocacy, uh, your, your sense and your common sense and judgment. And I thank you so much for being with us today. My pleasure, Michael. Well, that was my uh, interview with Rob Dorr that I conducted. And, and uh, I thought he's a, he's certainly a, a subject matter expert on a variety of subjects, but I'd like to get your guys' reaction on, on what Rob had to say. Yeah. You know, I, I would start out with just two comments. Um, you know, I think this is an interesting spot that, we as Republicans, but but as a whole society, find ourselves to be in, right? We want to increase public safety um, measures across the Twin Cities, across the state, across the nation. But we also want to have that balance of, of freedoms and liberties that are afforded to us. And, and you know, one of the comments you mentioned, not have the hassles, and, you know, in quotes, that the, the gentleman who had his pocket knife, you know, said he went to a different mall because of the hassle. So it's kind of that intersection of, of how exactly we we work through these issues, I think is, you know, going to be a lot. I think we're going to hear a lot more about that. But one thing I wanted to clarify or to point out, and I appreciate you highlighting this as well. Um, the, the comment that Rob had about, you know, no interest in discharging his gun. Um, I think a lot of people, when they think of, you know, quote unquote, gun toting Republicans, they think of trigger happy, you know, looking for any excuse to to use their weapon. Um, which is not the case. And, and I think a lot of times if you read the news, watch the news, um, it, it is very, very often, you know, those who are carrying illegally that are, are typically the, those that are involved in, in gun-related crimes. Um, so I do appreciate that somebody like Rob, you know, pointing that out, he is somebody that obviously is very passionate, fights very hard for the Second Amendment rights and, and gun rights, um, the right to safely, legally carry firearms. Um, it is really important to, to note that. 
All right. Yes. Very informative interview. Nice get there, Michael. But uh, let's move on to our tweet of the week. What do we have here? Becky, let's hear yours first. Yeah, you know, so um, I, first of all, I do apologize. I listened back to some audio. I say you know a lot, so I'm going to really work on that. But thank you to everybody who could maybe not hear it, and hopefully I didn't just draw attention to that. Um, Michael had tweeted last week or, or on New Year's Eve about bringing in the New Year, you know, the link to to our podcast. Um, Joseph Schultz, I appreciate you listening. Um, he responded to this. Um, about our comments about uh, those the, the busloads of migrants that were dropped off at Kamala Harris's house. Um, he said, dropping, off, dropping people off is no different than going to Mexico and busing people to the border. It's gross and inhumane and indefensible and immediately shuts down the conversation. You cannot have a conversation with monsters like Republicans. Um, you know, to me, that's uh, talking about shutting down the conversation. Nothing does that more than a mass generalization uh, saying that Repub- all Republicans are monsters. I think that um, on this on this show, we, you know, a couple of Republicans here, Michael and I both mentioned that we also thought it was gross and not a great optics, um, not the way to go about things. Um, but, you know, got to love uh, Republicans being monsters. Mike? Yeah, I, I- Yes, I thought it was a, a, an interesting comment in light of what we, in light of the position that we took on the show. I, I have a tweet. Uh, my, my tweet of the week is going to be uh, one that also involves Becky. I put out a tweet. I was recently at a Vikings game, and I discussed that if you're not going to participate in the wave, uh, I don't want to know you. And there was a wave going on inside the stadium, and Becky had a great comment, which she said that this was a jumping-off point for a future show that we should have about, about people that we don't want to include in our lives. And then I think we both were on the same page that people who don't want to do the wave in a stadium in, in a glorious sports sporting event moment uh, are not the type of people we want in our lives. And, and I want to just uh, my tweet of the week is just to acknowledge the wisdom and, and judgment of Becky in that rare moment. All right. Final comment, Becky. All I want to know is, Todd, do you do the wave if the wave is coming at you in a stadium? Hey, you have to do the wave, man. Oh, God bless you, Todd. You have to you do the wave. To- I might we even don't be, have to fire you. I might even be a starter of the wave, guys. Yes, I'm a <laughs> waver. But all right. Well, once again, thank you so much for joining us on episode number 10 of the Broadcorp Report. And do not miss episode number 11, where once again, we will be at the Democrat national, uh, local headquarters with Ken Martin, chairman of the Minnesota DFL. It should be a really great show. Uh, for episode number 11. And we want to thank all of you that are out there listening to us. We've been very pleased with the response and the reaction. And if you have ideas, once again, on guests or future topics and subjects that you would like to hear uh, how Michael and Becky feel about different uh, you know, topics that are happening here locally or nationally, you can reach out to Becky at... Allery RL on Twitter. And Michael. I'm at, at M Broadcorp on Twitter. All right. And for those of you that are listening on whatever platform to listen to the podcast, we've been appreciating your thumbs up. And of course, five thumbs up is certainly appreciated by all three of us. So continue uh, supporting us. And we really do thank you. So this is Todd Walker with the Broadcorp Report on episode number 10, signing off. And we'll hear you next week with Michael and Becky.